0: back in the fur shed for episode 65 of the trapping today podcast i'm your host jeremiah wood thank you for tuning in great to have you here the trapping today podcast is brought to you by kotz brothers lures kyle and kellen kotz k-a-a-t-z if you were listening into the last episode i interviewed kyle had a great time talking with him talked mainly about the uh you know, his history and background and the trapping industry as a whole. And uh, we never did get a chance to uh, to dive deep into uh, Kyle's experiences as a trapper, the different places he's trapped and all the different stories that, that he could tell. So we're going to try to do that again here uh, in the spring. Uh, but head over to kotzbros.com, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com and check out their website. They've got a whole pile of different things uh they sell a lot of baits, lures, and urines, books, DVDs, traps. They are the uh, distributor of the sole distributor of the uh, TS85 Beaver Trap, and they got all kinds of things going on there. So check them out and thank them for sponsoring the podcast. We are in the middle of February here, and it's uh, pretty crazy in Northern Maine. We actually have had Um, Last I checked, about 125 inches of snow so far. Almost none of it has melted. So uh, you pretty much waist deep. Got to get around in snowshoes. It's absolutely brutal. I think we're uh, on pace for a record snowfall this year. If something doesn't change, hopefully things will settle down a little bit. It's been hard to get around. Can't really keep a snowmobile from getting stuck without packing down a trail and staying on that trail so so it's been a challenge but uh, it's uh, you know it's just uh, it's, it's the cost of doing business up here I guess you can say so um, I got a few things I want to talk about tonight and uh, th- this is the the legislative season so something that I always hate talking about but it's important to get into is all the different attempts to ban trapping across the country, and a lot of the anti-trapping movement initiatives and things that that we just hate to see, but it's an unfortunate reality of of the practice of trapping um, that we are all dedicated to and and enjoy doing, and it's part of our culture and heritage. It's constantly being uh, eroded away by attempts uh, from people who who really don't see things the way that we do and don't have the same connection to the outdoors and wildlife that we do. So I'm gonna talk about that a little bit, but I have a few things first I wanted to get into. Um, the Stan Project. I wanna tell you about this project is something that I just found out about. So if you have watched the TV show Yukon Men, Yukon uh, Men is was a show on Discovery Channel that documented the lives of hunters and trappers around the village of Tanana, Alaska, which is oh, it's uh, west of Fairbanks. It's at the juncture of the Yukon and Tanana rivers. Uh, it's a, a village of somewhere around 200 people, isolated, remote, um, subsistence lifestyle, and. It's a. It was a really good show. It's actually went on for a few seasons, and it's been canceled. So, uh, so it's done. But I really enjoyed it. It was. It was a show that I think really um, shed trapping in a good light. It. It showed uh, the stories and the lives of, of people, uh, and trapping was a major part of, of what they did in the winter time. Uh, and and the show documented it quite well. One of the key uh, characters in the show probably you might call in the main characters a guy named Stan Zaray. and I mentioned before Stan's story he he has an incredible uh, story life story he grew up in the Boston Massachusetts area uh, was a city kid got in lots of trouble and he kind of just uh, took off um, <clears throat> in his teenage years and he Went across the country, went to live in British Columbia for a while, and he just wanted to go out in the woods and get away from everything. He ended up in uh, just picking a spot on the map in the middle of Alaska. Got flown in and uh, built a cabin and homesteaded on the Tozy River, which is, I want to say, about 30 miles from Tanana. And Stan lived there for a long time, uh, subsistence lifestyle. And now, uh, 40-some years later, he's still doing uh... that living that lifestyle in the village of tanana so stan traps uh... traditionally he uses a sled dog team uh... whereas most people are, are now trapping um, in the alaskan bush on snowmobile he's one of the few that continues to use sled dogs he gathers all his own firewood he hunts and fishes um, uh... to collect dog food for the winter and food for his family uh, just a really neat guy. Really interesting, uh, fascinating character. He also has a YouTube channel. Since the show has been canceled, he's been sharing a lot of stuff on his YouTube channel with people. And uh, I follow it. It's it's really neat. Um, and I noticed recently there was a video that came up on his channel called The Stan Project. And what it is, is one of the... F- um, filming one of the film producers uh, for the Discovery Channel who worked a lot with Stan is trying to uh, st- create a sort of a documentary series uh, showcasing Stan and kind of going more into um, into his lifestyle and, and just kind of uh, look at things uh, in, a, in a, a little more detail. And this came up as a, a video for a Kickstarter project. Now Kickstarter is an online platform that is used to help people raise money for different projects. And what, uh, what this guy wants to do, this, um, this filmmaker, his name is uh, Ryan Walsh. Uh, let's see, Ryan Walsh. And what he wants to do is raise money so he and his wife can go up there and uh, film stand for for I think at least several weeks and to create this documentary series. So uh, what you have the opportunity to do is uh, pledge support on Kickstarter for this project. And they're looking for $20,000 to get this done. So that would primarily be for travel to get up there and some camera equipment and stuff um and it is um it looks like i have already i've already donated to it basically what you do is you pledge the amount of money that you want to contribute they're looking for twenty thousand dollars they have as of right now sixty six hundred dollars that have been pledged so far so they're um a about a third, a little less than a third through maybe, and they have 25 days to go. I think they did this for kind of a 30-day project. So, you you go into, you can go to YouTube and just do a YouTube search for The Stan Project, and you can also go to kickstarter.com and search The Stan Project, and it'll, it'll pop up there, and it'll show a little video. Um, I think the this is going to be really interesting if they're able to do it because there are a lot of things in the sh- Yukon men's show that got cut out or they weren't able to focus on just because you know the show was just back and forth constant action you know they focused to tried to get into the drama uh, you know everything had to be exciting and and something had to be always going on to I guess keep hold people's interest and for me I'm I really like seeing, you know, more in-depth things that you don't necessarily need to have drama all the time. I just want to, you know, experience what what's going on there. So, so that's what the this uh, is going to attempt to do. And uh, Ryan and his wife will go up here and film and produce this and go through all the that that entire process. So there are, if you back this project, there are different levels that you can pledge. Anywhere from ten dollars to ten thousand um, dollars, but most people are probably going to be in a hundred dollars or less. Um, probably the one that's that would be most popular is yeah, it's a twenty dollar one, that's and that's what I just did. Um, twenty dollar pledge uh, basically, get there's they, they they try to give you. Um, A few perks just for for donating to try and encourage people. Just an added bonus to to helping the project get done. Um, The $20 level includes, they give you a social media shout out, a video thank you message from the creators, Uh, your name will be in the supported by category in the series credits, and the biggest thing that I thought was cool is you get a digital copy of the series upon completion so basically um you know you you pledge the twenty bucks and uh and that'll get you a copy of this thing to be able to watch uh when it's done um and then you go further like thirty five dollars um it at, you can get like a bumper sticker and then the you know every level that you go higher like if you pledge fifty dollars you actually get this is really cool a signed picture of Stan and his dogs so there's a bunch of different things, but anyway, check that out, the Stan Project. I really encourage you to, uh, to pledge if you are a fan of Stan's um, life and, and, uh, and the Yukon Man Show on his YouTube channel, um, I think it would be awesome to have this project go forth and, and to have another series to watch about uh, Alaskan lifestyle and trapping in Alaska. So uh, let's let's try and help out and get that done. All right, next order of business. Um, The time for the international fur auctions is coming very soon. Uh, The end of this month, we're going to see the the first NAFA auction take place. Um, So there's a a lot of early indications of fur prices. Nothing really has changed since the last update I gave, so I won't get into it today. Uh, Probably in the next week or two, I will provide an update on some of the local, state, uh, association fur auctions, just to give you an idea of prices. Um, Raccoon and muskrat, some of the better ones, are seeing a little bit of improvement, a uh, very, very small bit of improvement, but uh, that's something, everything else has kind of been about the same. Um, but, but speaking of fur, so I uh, had all my Martin and Fisher from uh, my northern Maine trap line that this season that I, I talked all about this fall. Uh, my snowmobile trap line. Uh, after a couple weeks in, we got all that snow, and it was quite a it was quite a season. A lot of ups and downs, uh, but it was very rewarding, and I had a lot of fun, and I made a lot of memories. Um, I put together, put up all my furs, got them all tagged, did the the barn picture, which is the side of the fur shed, and I brought them in, and I was gonna ship them off to auction, and at the last minute, I decided to wait. And I don't know exactly why. I just, for some reason, I I said I thought to myself, you know, I just want to hang on to these for a little while. And I don't know that the, a lot of it was, was fur that was caught later in the season uh, when it was really prime. So there's some really nice Martin of Fisher in there. I was wondering if the market was going to have a little downturn. I was a little worried that I was, you know, going to get wasn't gonna get much for these really nice furs so I thought about it for a while and I decided uh, I'm I'm just gonna wait And and after a few days um, I this thought just came to me out of the blue and um, I wanted to run it by you guys just to see what you think I I thought what if I send send a bunch of these out these Martin and Fisher pelts out to get tanned and uh, see if I could sell them to people so um, just a you know a regular tanned uh, pelt from my trap line. And I know, you know, a lot of you guys are following along on, on the line and, and uh listen to what was going on. And I don't know, maybe you think it would be kinda of cool to actually own one of the pelts that I caught this season. So I thought I'd throw that out there and give you an opportunity if you're interested to get in touch with me. Um, just email me jrodwood at gmail.com, J R O D w o o d at gmail.com and let me know i mean probably be um whatever the cost whatever i would have gotten for the furs at the auction the cost to ship them off to the tannery uh the cost to get them tanned get them back and a little bit of my time and uh so i don't know what it would add up to maybe maybe uh 80 to $100, something like that, depending Martin or Fisher. Fisher would probably be a little more than the Martin. So uh, keep that in mind if you if you are looking for a tan pelt and and maybe you'd like to have a tan Martin or Fisher pelt with a story behind it, um, here's your opportunity. So if I hear from several of you, uh, I will look into doing that and send them off to the tannery and then it'll be probably, I don't know, a month or two before I get them back. Um, if not, I'm probably going to ship them off to the next auction. I'll probably actually tan a few for myself anyway, um, and ship them off. But let me know, see what you think. All right. Um, one, let's see, I got a few other topics, but we'll probably skip them because I want to talk about this anti-trapping stuff. Um, but I was recording an episode the other day and I got an, while I was talking about trapper emails, I got an email from a guy, and he was actually a news uh, <clears throat> writer from this this newspaper in British Columbia, kind of an outdoors writer, I guess. And he was asking me about fur prices because he found my stuff on trappingtoday.com and uh, wanted to know if he could quote quote me on on the different fur prices for different species. So we emailed back and forth and I was a little bit nervous at some point. I was like, well, I'm cool with you using this stuff, but, um, is this, if this is going to be an anti trapping piece, I don't want anything to do with it. So, so, uh, I, I, I don't want you to use it if that's the case. And he, he got back to me and he, he absolutely not. He said, uh, this, I'm one of the few guys that's actually supporting hunters and trappers. um, out here so it was kind of interesting and we went back and forth a little bit and the guy actually gets his stuff done pretty quick because like a few days later he had the article and i sent him a picture of me with some beavers and he included that too um but it's called uh, bc's fur bearing animals forest habitats in decline trappers say so he's doing this article about uh the trapping industry in british columbia facing multiple threats including falling fur prices and Uh, general decline of of different fur bearers and a lot of the trappers there believe that that has to do with the forest practices there and something that resonates with me as well because I I do see how changes in forest practices have seemed to have influenced uh, different fur bearers here some for the better some for the worse it seems as though Martin numbers at least anecdotally have declined in areas that have been have experienced intense timber harvest here, so I don't see why that wouldn't be the same way in British Columbia. So he goes on, he goes into that, and then he quoted me about um, the different pelt prices for different species. He quoted a guy Brian Dack from the president of the BC Trapper Association, uh, and then a a uh, wildlife biologist talked he talked to. So, it's a really well-written article, I think, and uh, the guy's name is Randy Shore, um, and you can search that, BC's fur-bearing animals in decline. Um, Do a Google search, and that that should show up. I actually should, uh, I will try and get that on trapping today. All right, so let's get into the anti-trapping bills. So this is the time of year that you start to see things in the news about bills to change trapping laws. In some states, this happens every year. Some some states uh, only has the opportunity to happen every other year because the legislatures only meet every other year. And uh, some states it just never happens. But there's all there always seems to be something in it. It seems to, um, oftentimes have. Uh, something to do with the political climate and the results of the previous November's election. And it seems as though in years where you have kind of swings, you you always have back and forth political swings, but when you have swings towards the uh, Democrat side of the political aisle, you tend to have more people who tend to be Democrats that are associated with uh, anti-hunting, trapping, and animal rights stuff. And not to say that all are, because there, there are some that are very strong supporters of hunting and trapping, uh, but, but in general, uh, Republicans tend to be pro-consumptive uh, use of wildlife, and Democrats tend to be against. Um, Democrats tend to be from more urban areas. Republicans, as a general rule, tend to be more rural areas, ranching, farming communities, and, and so forth. So you start to see this happening. And at the same time, you're also having a shift in political winds in the western states in particular. The western states have changed a lot politically, demographically. And um, this has happened, you know, probably, probably has begun to, to accelerate this demographic change around the time the the first baby boomer started to retire, and a lot of people were moving towards you know from California, um, from the East, from maybe some urban areas in the Midwest, um, moving to the West, um, buying a house and a piece of land, and moving to an area where the weather was nice and it cost of living for them was lower than enough to deal with the city, and it was a great place to retire. So, a lot of these western states have changed a lot. Uh, probably the biggest example of this is the state of Colorado, and Colorado traditionally was uh, outdoors in paradise, a uh, hunting, fishing, trapping. Um, it was, you know, ranching, state it still is but but it was you know dominated by the population was dominated by by outdoorsmen and ranchers Uh, the the, this huge wave of this huge influx of uh, immigration to colorado from other states has has changed that over the past couple of decades and colorado you know went from being an extremely conservative state with with uh you know, trapping friendly policies to now it's it's a uh, it's a blue state it's a, a liberal t- sort of state and uh, th- years ago trapping was banned in Colorado um, as far as uh, I know uh, there's very limiting limited trapping allowed for livestock protection but the basically if you want to trap Say bobcats in Colorado, you get to use cages. It's it's kind of a cage trapping state. Uh, similar in uh, Arizona, Arizona has um, banned trapping on public lands. Now the the two states I'm going to talk about here are. New Mexico and Montana, and and both of those states are seeing very similar changes. And on the surface, you you wouldn't think it possible, but it, it really is. Um, there really are some big changes that have come to to those states and are continuing to to change as more people move in. And um, you know, a lot of these people are uh, not connected to the outdoors. They've lived most of their life in urban areas. They are wildlife animal lovers, not necessarily conservationists like most trappers are. They're they're animal lovers. They're very emotional. They like to walk their dogs on the trail, and they are afraid of anything foreign to them, including the possibility of a dog getting caught in a foothold trap, which they call leg hold traps. Um, there's even people that have testified in these legislative sessions about being afraid they're going to step in a trap so i mean when you hear somebody say talk about the fear of stepping into a trap you know they haven't experienced trapping um because you know we all know if you 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 got your hiking boots on you step in a trap you you you're not going to feel anything so there there's there's misconceptions but these people a lot of them are governed by emotions. They have too much time on their hands. They're mostly retired, and they have a little better to do than to support these agendas. To uh, to try and what they can cons- we consider uh, to better their community and uh, right this injustice that these barbaric um, natives have been practicing this whole time. Um, before we help bring them into the modern enlightened age if you will so uh, here's what happened in New Mexico apparently a, a dog got caught in a trap on BLM land and the the actually the BLM land was cl- it was a section of BLM that was closed to trapping so it was not even a legally set trap to begin with uh, so uh, this law is not even going to um, to change what you know what happened to this dog being caught. Uh, it's re- it's really irrelevant to to uh, to this dog being caught because this was already something that was against the law to begin with. Uh, but the guy got upset and um, he introduced this bill to to ban trapping on public lands in New Mexico. And there's a huge huge outpouring of support for this bill the the other thing that happened that kind of confuses things is some people are I think believe that this was the reason it's kind of a uh, an ongoing issue that's that's pertinent to this but is not the, was not the reason for the bill uh, there's also Mexican gray wolves that have been moving across the border and have been caught in traps. In New Mexico, so there's a big uh, fuss about that as well, and efforts to ban trapping because of catching these Mexican gray wolves. So that's that's another issue on its own. But but anyway, this uh, this bill is called. Let's see, I've got the I've got the Montana one here. Okay, so the bill that was introduced in New Mexico is called HB 366, House Bill 366. And any of these, if you go to do a Google search, search New Mexico HB 366, 2019, and the bill will come up, and you can click on it and check the status. As I record this right now, the status is uh, this bill was voted in committee to pass um, eight to four in support of the bill. So what that means is uh, the committee that heard the bill, which was probably Fish and Wildlife Committee, um, they they listened to testimony on the bill. There, were, I guess there were like three hours, two and a half, three hours of testimony on both sides. Uh, I believe the majority of testimony was in support of the bill to ban trapping. Uh, There were a lot of trappers that showed up and spoke against it. Um, But the committee voted to pass the bill. And there were four members that voted against it. I believe it was, you know, livestock protection was, was a big reason for their opposition. So the bill now goes to the Judiciary Committee. Um... And I don't know exactly what it does in Judiciary Committee. I I guess I wasn't paying attention in school when we learned that. Um, But I believe if it passes Judiciary, it's going to go for a vote on the House floor. And if it passes both the House and the Senate, the governor signs it, the bill will become law. And New Mexico will be added to the states that are that ban uh, trapping on public lands. So, it's going to be a bad deal. And I know there's several guys that I've talked to that have gone to New Mexico to trap. Actually, two of them from Maine have gone, uh, drove out to New Mexico and, uh, and trapped bobcats. And it's an incredible opportunity. It's a great place because most of the state's public land. There's There's public land all over New Mexico. And from what I've been told, they're pretty friendly out there to trappers. Um, so so it's a great place for guys to go out and, and trap uh, in the wintertime and just have kind of a whole new experience. Um, this could be banned, unfortunately. So that's that's one bill to keep an eye on. There's a bill in California that we won't spend much time on, Unfortunate that trappings pretty much done in california now sadly so uh it's there's an article here california lawmakers consider shutting down shrinking industry and there's i think there's only like a hundred trappers left in california it's it's a it's a real tough deal 133 license holders so this has been um this has come up several times and the When you this when your membership and number of trappers participation goes down to such a low level, there's no one left to fight for trapping, and that's where California is. and And California is you know the ultimate in uh, liberal places that um, are you know trapping is has no place as far as uh, a lot of people in California are concerned. So this one I don't know that it will pass, but uh, I suspect that it has a great chance of passing. I think in a lot of cases, um, it it just hasn't, they haven't banned trapping yet because it just hasn't kind of, hasn't really been on the radar because so few people are doing it. But uh, think about this. Apparently, in the mid-1980s, there were more than 3,000 trappers in California. And I think there were, you know, just constant over the years there were constant um changes to regulations that made it more and more difficult to trap in california to the point where uh it, there's just so few people left that can do it there, there's so little that you can do so um uh in in 98 1998 uh california voters banned uh foothold traps uh, a statewide ballot initiative kind of like you know Massachusetts Colorado so all these guys are able to do now is trap with cage traps and they you know how how do you justify cage trapping as being cruel and inhumane i mean i just don't understand how that how you go so far that that you they're not happy unless Uh, trapping is completely banned and it doesn't have a place in the state so uh yeah that's unfortunately that's just kind of kind of the way california has gone so boy hate to be a downer today all right so montana there's a few bills in montana um there's one on banning wolf trapping, wolf hunting near Yellowstone Park, actually in the Cook City area. Apparently, there was a wolf that had a nickname that everybody loved looking at and watching, and he got killed. Um, he, Um Yeah, what was his name? Uh, Spitfire was his name. I actually hunted in Cook City for a few years, and uh, I, I saw two wolves uh, while I was hunting. One while I had a wolf tag in the first year of the season opened. And uh, I, it was just a little too far away and it didn't stop for long enough for me to get a good shot at it. Um, but I experienced the complete lack of um, elk and mule deer, primarily elk in this area. Um, back when wolves were managed here, uh, there were incredibly abundant elk herds and the elk herds have, have gone down to almost nothing in the area. There are hunters, guides, outfitters uh, that used to be really active in the area are basically gone and and there's wolves more wolves and grizzly bears i i've I saw more wolves and grizzlies in like four or five years of hunting there than I saw elk so that's that says something but anyway uh that that bill is in the legislature um the big one in montana is the push for a 24 hour trap check. So, Montana is one of the few states left that does not have a check law. Uh, Alaska, Montana, there there may be one or two others, but probably not. So, uh, Montana is kind of the last place where guys can be, you know, run true long lines and uh, be very efficient predator trappers. Uh, there's a lot of livestock control work that's done out there. That's very important. So, you know... Probably there would be there could be some sort of reasonable check law that would work for that but I think Montana trappers have been pretty wise in my opinion you can disagree with me on this it's okay but you know I part of me understands that uh, you know check law it, there's some level of humaneness associated with a check law um, and, and that, you know, that varies depending on the person. I think I, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of what humans consider, what we consider humane. But at the same time, um, a 24-hour check law does not allow you to be an efficient predator trapper. I, I know that in Maine. Um, I talked to Chris Pope um, in that interview we did a while back uh, on the podcast uh, in Georgia. You know, you can run two to... Two to three dozen traps and 24 hour in 24-hour check and do them good, and that's that's about all you can do efficiently. Um, you you can run more in a 24-hour if you're if you're doing it full time and you don't have a job or anything else to do, but it's it's tough. You you can't run these big long lines and catch hundreds of fox and coyotes on a 24-hour check. So I think Montana trappers have fought this for a long time, and I, and I. The reason that they have fought any type of check laws is really the the reason the NRA fights any type of gun law. They recognize that if they allow um, the, the animal rights crowd to chip away at trapping rights, uh, they're going to continue to lose those and they're not going to get them back. Every place that's lost trapping rights has not gotten them back, uh, to my knowledge. There's... there's the vast majority of what's lost does not come back. So so you're kind of just you know you're taking a step back every time and and uh, why volunteer to uh, to be punched in the face one, one extra time. So these guys are just fighting it. And, and they fought it for a long time. So the bill is 20 was 24 hours. I think they just amended it to 48 hours to try to get it passed. It, uh, it moved on to judiciary. I don't know what the vote was in the uh, in committee. Um, I do know Mont. You know, Montana is changing demographically, but it's not Colorado yet. Uh, but it but it is changing, and and that's going to be a challenge for for trappers in Montana to to continue to, to operate the way they do. A um, Couple years ago, two thousand sixteen, there was a ballot initiative to ban trapping on public lands in Montana. Um, that would never go into their legislature, unlike New Mexico. So they they had to do it by ballot initiative. So the Antis got it. Fi- they tried a few years for a few years to do it, and they finally got enough signatures to get it on the ballot. And it was voted down by almost two thirds. So so the r- public opinion is not still not in favor of anti-trapping initiatives in Montana um, because this technically does not ban trapping. It just, you know, it, it just changes the check law. Um, it might have a better chance of passing. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to have to keep an eye on this, but, um, if this passes, it's going to be a big deal and it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really difficult for, for trappers in Montana. So, um, hopefully they can, they can figure that out and, uh, And get through that but just one of those things every time every year or two this comes around different states and never think that it can't happen in your state it always can and um, at some point eventually it probably will so so it's something to keep in mind and uh, continue to help educate people about trapping what we do why we do it uh, why it's humane why it is sustainable why it is uh, Important to wildlife management. So, with that, keep on trapping, keep on thinking, trapping, keep on talking, trapping. And uh, I've got a lot more. Uh, as you can tell, my voice is pretty much wore out. Um, but I've got a lot more to talk about, and I'm going to do that in future episodes. I get a really cool book review to go over, and uh, just a, a whole pile of things. So, I'm excited about it. Um, until next time, uh, just uh, Get out there and get things done and, and uh, talk trapping, do some trapping. All right, see ya.